0: Julia, are you all right? Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm... I'm... Uh, okay. Uh, thanks, guys.
1: <gasps> Julieta.
0: Papa, I... Look at that. You're not going in. Come on. I saw them first. Ah. Their award is mine. We're not afraid of you. No, but we're afraid of you. Everyone is horrified and disgusted by you because you are monsters. Stop! Monster! Oh yeah? Who are they then?
1: I know who they are. <laughs> they are Luca and Alberto. And they are the winners. Luca! Let us through!
0: That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No, be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God.
1: Whatever that means to you.
2: listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear. What scares us and what saves us? This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week And especially this year we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us this is the fear of god speaking to you right now is one of your fear of god hosts nathan rouse and typically with me is fellow co-host reed lackey and guys he was here a minute ago but he's acting a little funny and said he had a case of phantom tail but that he'd be back shortly we'll maybe learn a little bit more about what he's talking about there in the meantime Allow me to welcome you, listeners, back into What Saves Us, the second of a pair of overarching series this year, this time featuring films and media that nurture your wonder, that invigorate your awe, that enrich your humanity, and not to overstate things, but that are saving you now. Last week, we did the Can Can in a Village of Sin with Baz Lerman's 2001 homage to all that is lovely, unless your name is Reed Lackey, that of Moulin Rouge. Today, we are silencioing our Brunos with 2021's Pixar offering, Luca. Joining us on the Vespa today is the Julia to our Alberto and Luca, the Ercole to our Chicho and Guido. Friends and foggers, it's everyone's favorite Italian by way of Canada, Vera Gaudi. Vera, welcome back to the show.
3: Hey, buonasera.
2: Yes, signorita, <laughs> buonasera. Uh, I know that movie. I know what it means because i watched return to me and fell in love with that soundtrack as well uh vera before i watch you eat a big sandwich permit me to remind the (laughs) listeners that here at the fear of god we explore we don't explain except for right now when i explain that you can listen to the fear of god on your nearest podcast platform you can watch the fear of god on youtube and you can browse the fear of god on the web where you will find reed hey buddy
4: Buongiorno! Yes, How are hey. Welcome to the show. Ciao. Vera's here. <laughs> Hi, Vera. It's good to see you again.
3: It's good to see you oh, both as well.
4: And you're sporting your bluey shirt. That look at that. Me... Is that muffin or is that bluey? It's, it's muffin.
3: Yeah, that's, that's wonderful.
4: She's the awesome. flamingo
3: queen.
4: <laughs> that's, that's
2: amazing. Hysterical. Um, we just awesome. we we got our four year old a talking bingo recently. Ooh. By we I mean I did as a bribe to get her to go to friggin bed. Correctly, uh, <laughs> and it, it worked for a moment, and here we are you, back. What
3: you got us? Very
2: one. You do. You do. It's true. Uh, but I do it's love, so uh, Muffin and Bingo and all the gang. Um, mm. Reed, do we have any? You me- need to, to What? Uh, I'm gonna do well, what?
4: I'm curious what you're. I, no, well, no, I was. I was gonna say you're gonna give me a hard time forever about Moulin Rouge like I feel like no, I the need to... to prep
2: Vera that when people submit their <laughs> their content and their reads gonna <laughs> take a big, spell like, hey, bat to them. be aware Yeah, like read yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, read oh don't play you know <laughs> he's like ah, I know you love it <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it I may I be have, saving you hmm,
4: yeah uh, I do have one uh, brief story to follow up with Moulin Rouge last week so okay. it's funny because when it was over Vera I don't know if you're caught up and if you heard Moulin Rouge episode last week but um, yeah
3: I'm hoping that this movie will bring us all back together I, mean, I think <laughs>
4: friendship. Yes.
2: I wouldn't I wouldn't yes. count on it. <laughs> wow. If, if truth, beauty, freedom, and love can't. <laughs>
4: <laughs> wow. So Bruno. So so Bruno. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so um but no, like afterwards I had expressed uh some of my feelings to my wife and I was just like man I feel like I just assassinated Nathan's sacred cow. Like I just <laughs> just absolutely completely demolished which I listened back to the episode and I was like, I, I, I think I had a fair critique, but for myself, but I, I admit that I was not swooning over Moulin Rouge and I had some concerns and, and all that other sort of stuff. But anyway, I do want to let you know, like my wife uh, contextualized a couple of things for me and not just because she was my wife, but maybe the way I presented it or because my own thoughts had been tempered by years. but she she made a decent case for the, you know, like in general, like, no, there's there's a lot of that kind of, explosivity to an early relationship and that doesn't necessarily mean that it was the healthiest thing and it doesn't necessarily mean that it wouldn't have become the healthiest thing so, so
2: in the context of our movie today she was kind of like what's wrong with
4: you stupido yeah that's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. what's wrong yeah. with you stupido it's an yes, appropriate exactly response to that right. Yes, exactly um, but as far as business yeah I actually don't have much I will say that probably as of the time this broadcasts if you have not, I will say this, just to kind of put it out there. As of this recording, let's consider this the last week to submit your What Saves Us submissions. The, the schedule is now veritably filled up. Um, so if th- that doesn't mean that we wouldn't consider either for a future entry or whatever, but if you were on the fence and you were like, Oh yeah, I need to get around it, but this week is your last week to submit a What Saves Us submission. Or else uh the 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 ship will have probably sailed for this time around, just to give everybody a fair heads up if you were kind of on the fence about it.
2: So yes. Samira's safe. Is safe, Thank yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, her <laughs> submission
4: is completely fine. Um but awesome. uh, but yes, if anybody was on the fence and say, like, maybe I will, I'll get to it soon, like do it this week so that we can make sure to give your submission an entry in the hopper. But other than that, uh yeah, we are that's, it's that's funny you say fun.
2: in the hopper because last time bureau was here for, for stranger things uh, oh, so that's hopper. Fun, mm. fun and inadvertent throwback <laughs>
3: one answer i got right that's
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of oh, fun uh speaking of things that are fun what you watching? you're
0: watching what you're reading? You reading what you listening to
2: Vera, you are our guest, so please feel so inclined to take charge and lead the way on your what are you watching, reading, listening to? Or rather, let me. I'm sorry, it's been a no minute. What you watching, <laughs> Whatcha? reading, listening to? Not this, you were way, way this, too proper. None of this king's English.
3: What's <laughs> <laughs> a saizando?
0: <laughs> this,
3: is, a oh my gosh. Oh, this is, a is why
2: i don't this is one of the few reasons i don't like when Vera's on is she straight shows us up in oh the, no no question you know, but my father-in-law set is gonna
4: love this because my father-in-law is <laughs> italian so he is gonna eat this up it's gonna be amazing like a bowl of pasta oh like a bowl of pesto pasta <laughs> just like consumed right up there that's exactly right <laughs> oh, all right amazing. what you got
3: Um, Yeah, so a movie came out um, this past Friday on Apple TV called CODA, Mm. C-O-D-A, which is an acronym that stands for Children or Child of Deaf Adults. So it is a movie about a girl who is like me, who has parents that are deaf. She also has a sibling that is deaf. I do not have siblings that are deaf. Both my brothers can hear. Um, But she has the responsibility in her family of facilitating communication and being like the child language broker of her family. At the same time, she wants to pursue singing um, something that her family doesn't have an interest in just because of the, the fact that they aren't able to hear. And she's kind of torn between her family and her passion. Um, so that's kind of the gist of the movie. And um, while there's some things about it, like I wish that um, there had been CODA involved in the making of it. There was not. Um, but there are three deaf leads in the movie who are amazing. Marley Matlin, hmm. uh Troy Kutzer, who is like phenomenal. And um you may have seen him in The Mandalorian. He played oh. the Tuscan Raider that signs with Mando and invented oh, Tuscan sign language. So
2: crazy. Wow.
3: Yeah. Like I, I like I've loved him since I saw him in Scrubs. Like I think he's an amazing actor. Um and uh Daniel last name. I can't remember Duran, uh, are the three deaf actors in the movie. And it is just, it's beautiful. The sign language is amazing. Mm. There's so much that I relate to, um, as a child of deaf adults, um, being the oldest in my family, having the responsibilities that sort of the oldest Coda tends to have. It was the first time I've ever seen a movie. Like I'm, I'm white and I am blonde. Like there's a lot of representation like visually, but mm. in terms of like my experience, there has yeah. been not a lot. And this is the first time I've seen something that I've related to so hard. Um, check That's out. Awesome. It's an amazing story. Amazing. That's
2: story. awesome. It was so funny if I can throw this anecdote in here. So, you know, Vera, you've been, you've been active in the, the bog community for quite some time and, and active on pod for for i don't know a couple of years now perhaps if we were to char- chart that and i knew generally speaking just based on our interactions online that you had you know and and uh, i'm going to use this because it's what i knew asl or sign language sort of uh, uh, acumen and i did not know for quite some time that to your phrasing into this movie's title that you were a coda and it was so funny because uh Read and I's mutual uh, collegiate alma mater, you know, and you take these languages. Well, I took ASL there. So I had some passing knowledge, you know, it's, it's long since mostly faded at this point. Uh, but I was like, Oh, cool. You know, I've got, you know, like not to suggest that it was pure kind of hobby s- type of scenario, but I just remember this really funny moment that happened where you use the phrase coda in some sort of back and forth text, you know, message, message sort of scenario. And, I was like what is she uh, you know it, it totally <laughs> went over my head uh and sure enough i don't even remember what it was but it just clicked with me I was like wait a minute wait this is more than just like an academic pursuit for vera i i don't know something about the the flavor of how you you relayed some bit of information clued me in anew <laughs> that i was like oh this is not just uh, uh a person who studied this in school and developed a passion for it i i do know just from my studies people like that you know you just develop kind of a passion for that community yeah, and the language sure. and that sort of stuff and and so it was just really funny so i, I love that that uh that film exists it's, you are not the only person my sister just this week who like me had some of that academic background uh, she messaged and she was she texted me unrelated to Fear of God and and my communication with you she was just like ah uh, you really have to watch this movie so it's definitely on the radar um, I'm lucky to get Fear of God material in right now so <laughs> I, am, uh, I, w- I will add it add it to the queue but that's you really might be cool. rusty
3: but listeners won't know that there was some like audio issues ahead of time and I started signing something to you because that's yeah. my default when like somebody right. can't hear me I'm like oh just use sign language and you correctly signed no. So yes, you, I did. Still
2: got yeah. it there. The, ah. the t- I mean, there might be half a dozen sort of expressions left there, uh, <laughs> uh, not not including the alphabet, which I can do just fine. Uh, this but, is just real life fog, by the way. So I'm much like our last recording session uh, by myself. And you'll hear. The sounds of puppy wandering in the background so you know just if you hear something weird like a dog chewing on a q-tip right now which i'll go retrieve while reed does wow his, uh, okay sure Sure. Sure. Does sure. His watch i can
4: hear you oh okay perfect um okay so i have oh, man i was trying so hard to decide between two i'm going to start with the big one that i wanted to say and if we've got a little bit of time i'll mention the other one um so i want to point out a documentary right now the documentary is on Hulu, and for any child, and I believe, uh, Vera, this might have still been in your intersection, although there's two things that I don't know if you'll be able to connect with, um, because one, I know that uh, you came into this earth in like mid to late 80s and i'm bad at 80s trivia well but then (laughs) but then also the uh the the canadian element of it i don't know how readily available this material was there i know at least some was um but there's a, a movie on hulu and it's called the orange years and it is a documentary exploring the history of a very particular uh era of the TV network, Nickelodeon. And I grew up on Nickelodeon. Nathan, I'm assuming you had a lot of Nickelodeon intersections. You and I are comparable peers in terms of like age demographic and such. Um, But the, this, for anybody who grew up in the early eighties and beyond uh, maybe till about the mid nineties and watched any Nickelodeon, It was amazing because the very first opening shot of the documentary just gave a little blurb about the history of the network. And then it said there had never, I forget the exact words, but it said, you know, there had never been a network exclusively devoted to children until, and then that was just black screen with a, with, with white text over it. And as soon as it uh, said until, and then this sound broke in. And if you've ever watched Nickelodeon, you'll know like the sound was, um, and it was like, the, immediately this incredible burst of just delight and joy having not heard that opening sound for like forever, because that used to be like this little like, oh, you're watching Nickelodeon kind of thing. And what was really cool, a couple of highlights that the documentary unpacks further and in more detail is they they started by saying like this was a really amazing network because it was a network for kids, not talking like two kids, but like really for kids. Like they were they were trying to think about programming in a way that kids would actively not only engage with, but relate to. And when you look at the programming that they had. It makes a lot more sense. Things like you can't do that on television and Double Dare and all these kind of things. They were very much like this is how a kid thinks and this is how a kid feels. And it was really cool to that end. I had no idea how many at the tippy top women there were running that organization. Like the president, the head of programming, so many women were running the Nickelodeon network. And it is Ooh, really,
2: really am, am I wrong? Was Nick Rocks the the music video programming they had? Nick Rocks, yes, Nick Rocks. I'm pretty sure it was.
4: That that might have uh, been it. Now, the documentary, in fairness, didn't touch on Nick Rocks, but we did mm. touch on like, oh gosh, Secrets of the Hidden Temple and uh, the the video arcade, and then there was, uh, you know, it did talk about Snick, which I've mentioned on this pod several times now. It talked about Snick and Ren and Stimpy and animated programming and everything. And it's just what was amazing about the documentary is it was about an hour and 40 minutes if you are familiar with nickelodeon it is just beautiful nostalgia it is wonderful nostalgia but it is also because of some of the things that they were trying to do with the network and some of the things that they successfully did it's also got a decent sequence of like some jolts of inspiration and joy so if you at all were familiar with the nickelodeon network i can cannot recommend highly enough a documentary that is at least available on hulu it's probably available in other outlets but it's called the orange years it is, I would dare say, required Viewing for anybody who has fond Memories of watching the Nickelodeon Network Like, I'm, Check out I'm glad, that documentary
2: I'm glad that that's what that movie is about Because with that title, it would be more like a trigger warning <laughs> No, no, for the no, last, no, yeah, no, you will not sullend my
4: Experience of I'm, that documentary I'm not, I'm just telling you, no, you no, that no. title you, No, I'm going to go okay, okay. rouge on you again Like you better stop <laughs> I mean, again, <laughs> the evidence speaks for itself about oh Reed's God. heart. I will not I will not break faith with the color orange just because like, I'm gonna reclaim the color orange, okay? Because uh, yes. well, speaking
2: of colors, my whatcha um is that the other night, uh I, I just feel bad, Reed. Like you and I went to see old, and it's like WTF. What? You know, wow. what, why didn't we do that when movies like The Green
4: Knight where mm. I, I don't know if it was out there though but that was not it wasn't, that long ago no it
2: wasn't,
4: no, it, but it wasn't available the night it w- it had not been released definitively or i can guarantee you i would have pushed to see green knight together i can guarantee you much as Shyamalan love as there is i had a I, there was a flip of a coin as to whether or not old was going to be good i was fairly confident green knight was going to well, be good you so, don't know that yes. though you haven't seen it you know what It's <laughs> <laughs> his my watch anyway wow. so yes the
2: other <laughs> night uh, uh i and uh off pod friend Stephen scaregrove uh went to see the green knight david lowry right david lowry and mm. it's really funny i shared this with reed after i saw it that i don't know if y'all are like this at all uh but whether it's age or intentionality or or rather fullness of life coupled with intentionality if I know I'm gonna see a movie I'm I will probably watch a trailer at some point but in other words if something is interesting to me or, or has an appeal to me um but beyond that I don't really do much research before going into it see old uh and uh so for the Green Knight I had seen a trailer at one point knew the aesthetic but was not connecting the dots on the director especially as it relates to the fear of God and for anyone who's unaware David Lowry, who directed The Green Knight also directed a ghost story and so it was funny so I go see The Green Knight and it has a it has a very particular kind of sensibility about it that when I got out of the theater I was like okay who directed this and then it's like makes perfect sense uh um very long takes uh, lots of real contemplative energy about it uh a uh, very meditative sort of quality um there is a world where if you are and a ghost story is like this too vera do you, do you end up watching a ghost story uh
3: i have not seen a ghost
2: okay story. okay well if you do mm-hmm you'll you this this will ring out to you and read maybe you can back me up on this if you are not on the wavelength of a ghost story you could really find a comedy in there right like Mm -hmm. you're you're it it, it requires a certain uh uh, radar spidey Mm -hmm. sense to kind of find the frequency well with green knight i was ready because i knew this is going to be a real serious kind of enterprise so I wasn't going in sort of, I'll frame it this way. If I was 16 and 17, the me that was a teenager, I would have been like, oh my gosh, this is mystery science theater uh, uh, sort of fodder writ large. Wow. Meaning, simply meaning, it's so thoughtful and considered, but mm-hmm. some of the energy about it, you could really have fun with it. Monty Python references and things like that. I'm saying that to get it out of the way, because mm-hmm. if you do dial in on it, it is extremely mesmerizing, uh, uh, and very transporting, uh, is a, a sort of good way to describe it. And, and honestly, it's one of those films that, uh, and I was extremely loosely aware of the Sir Galwin, uh, sort of lore, but extremely loosely. Um, and so would, would not have known even, I don't even right now know, does it directly adapt? You know kind of the 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 mythology there, but so I didn't know where the story was going, but it just is so kind of um I don't even know exactly how to describe it and and- <laughs> the two of you may have just noticed even body language joys. I just did this rhythmic kind of it's it's like you're just on an ocean and you're feeling the waves <laughs> kind of move you, and you're like, yeah, uh-huh this is." This is a very particular energy and the more you are kind of in it, the more you kind of don't want it to end, uh, to the point that you're just like, I don't know where this is going, but it's, it's a really kind of lovely and artful way to get there. Um, so mm-hmm. no, I, I, that, that's a long winded way. And maybe sounds, uh, talking out of both sides of my mouth. I don't mean to do that because I actually found it incredibly affecting, um, awesome. very atmospheric, uh, again, very enthralling and mesmerizing. And so it would, it, it's, it's, it's the kind of movie our type of folks would get on board with so if if you are on the fence or curious about it i would definitely encourage checking it out but oh, also awesome. it's not it's not a small screen affair it's not a, a a split screen affair it is not a oh i'm gonna pop some popcorn and hope for a, a blockbuster <laughs> energy it is very thoughtful and considered yeah. and really asks a lot of you but i definitely recommend it so that is my, well, I watching. Yes. Really. That,
4: checks, uh, that checks a lot of boxes for just David Lowry's work in general. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show a little bit of love to Old Man in the Gun, which he also, I mean, Ghost Story receives all the praise uh, as well. He directed Robert Redford's Swan Song, uh, you know, acting wise. Uh, so I absolutely love David Lowry's work and I'm very excited to see The Green Knight. Yeah. I don't normally know. do this, but mm. can I mention one more? I know we, we usually stick to mm. one watch. Uh, no, no, no. Don't give me that face. I'm going to mention one more. Okay. And I'll be super brief about it because, um, it's going to be a while before we do watches again. Stay tuned for programming. But, um, so I'm going to mention in brief the Netflix revival of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which I knew had come out and I heard that, uh, Kevin Smith was behind it and everything. And I was like, oh, I like Masters of the Universe. Oh, that's great. That's fine. I won't spoil what happens but pretty much in the first episode there are five episodes they're like 25 minutes each so it's essentially once you do the math basically like a a, a two hour and change movie to just watch them all but um the first half of this series the second half is coming some undisclosed time they haven't announced a release date but the first half of it just completely blew me away with the very first episode they made some really bold choices Choice is so bold, in fact, that it got review bombed for people who don't know what review bombed means. It means like basically a bunch of people, because the internet is a fertile place for just ridiculous, awful people. Um, they take a particular distaste to a thing. And so they just all pound against it and just throw a bunch of thoughtless one stars against it just to try to completely tank the rating of it without, you know, tra- taking the time to thoughtfully critique it. And so the first episode makes some really bold choices. I should say that. But what I found in the material was remarkably thoughtful, was, I mean, like, they took characters who everybody would admit were created as a cartoon to sell toys. That's why Masters of the Universe exists. It was a half-hour cartoon for, like, it was a half-hour commercial for toys. That's it. This new series, which is ostensibly a continuation of it, takes those characters introduces legitimate stakes, real consequences to choices. And then in some interesting ways, like deconstructs a lot of the given mythology about it, throws together some interesting character combinations. Um, So if you're, if you're open to like a completely deconstructed and reconstructed experience of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, I would throw tremendous accolades for myself against the uh, Kevin Smith uh, wielded uh, I, I don't know if he produced, I know he wrote it. He might have even like overseen some direction, but um, but at any rate, like very much a brainchild of Kevin Smith, the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. So because it's gonna be a while since we did watches, I just gotta
2: Yeah. Well now to you've, op- you've 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 <laughs> opened the door to Grayskull, so I must walk through. But oh, uh, te- mm-hmm. technically speaking, it is just called Masters of the Universe. Oh, uh, oh yes. Colon, that's revelation. Right. Interestingly, because I saw a headline today, I wanted to see what the deal was. Netflix also announced a kid friendly He Man, mm-hmm. the Masters of the Universe CGI show. That's due why. Due for September, which yeah, is just a really the- bit of odd marketing mess mixing there. I don't really know what's yeah. up there. Um, no, agreed. Yeah. They want so more toys? Uh, they're probably. I mean, sure. Yeah. Uh, but you'd think, uh, you would think, but uh, who am I? Uh, you think they might not overlap them quite so heavily. Um, but it is funny, Reed. So, uh, as a as a card carrying member of the uh, uh, He-Man fan club from you know the '80s, uh, <laughs> you'd do well at that trivial pursuit. We had. Era
3: the toys okay uh, yeah all right
2: yeah we had toys too my brother and i who was featured on the cobra kai episode and we left them inadvertently one summer at the beach place we would go to as children and this lovely little place kept them for us and we retrieved them oh. the following year now that's um, special but what's really funny is Reed, I don't think i even told you this uh after you had kind of hyped it as much as you did i was like okay, mm. and naturally i'd be interested in it but um you know I was like okay well I'll, I'll spare some time for this it's it's 30 minute increments or, or less um <laughs> and one night uh, my wife was reading or something i pop in the headphones and she's like <laughs> it reminds me of it reminds me of Arrested Development her you know she was like this <laughs> she was like yeah this <laughs> and you will back off, you know?
1: Know
2: your role. Man at arms represent. Uh, oh, wow. Yes. So, that Did you finish been, it?
3: Well, wait, uh, no, I meant I'm, to mention this. Yes, I'm three oh, yes, you, Vera. I'm sorry.
2: No, I, We're no breaking apologies. all the rules. In the it's world. Okay. Break it's it okay. Break it
4: all. Break it all.
3: I meant to mention this in the beginning, but I forgot, but I have also now seen Ted Lasso. <laughs> <gasps> <No!
4: laughs> yeah. Nice. Because awesome I got one, Apple TV right?
3: specifically for Coda. And then I was like, you know what? Well, i need. There you
4: go. Why not? <laughs> go ahead and not? watch Ted Lasso. Yes. Yeah. What Starting next wonderful. week, you'll be glad you did.
2: I'm just What saying. a wonderful surprise. We should take an hussy right now in, in honor of that. <laughs> um, uh, no, that I think this, anyone? Has anyone been? Anyone? <laughs> We're good. We're good. What you
0: want?
2: read what, what you listening to All right, we got out of there as quick <laughs> as we could cuz I was about to throw another one in myself. Um I mean, just saying, just saying. Just saying. So what a wonderful day uh it is. <laughs> Vera's here, Reed's here. We're talking about a lovely little flick. So um, it is what saves us time, and Vera, it is your candidate that has been uh, chosen here. Just FYI, by the way, I don't know if you wait
3: know. what. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. It turns out,
1: um,
2: I almost wondered, you know, and I think I even asked you this if you were going to end up pivoting to Coda. But I actually appreciate. I mean, I'm sure that's a great film as well, but I appreciated <laughs> that you kept with this. So, uh, if you would be so kind, Vera, don't feel like you have to word for word what you submitted but um you can as well will you kind of fill us in a little bit on what prompted you to in the asking of what is saving you now as it relates to film and media submit luca
3: sure i don't remember what i wrote
2: okay that's all right
3: (laughs) freestyle in my head um so luca came out uh, i think towards the end of uh june and it was uh, a week before my my Nona, my grandmother, passed away is when it came out, mm. I remember. Uh, so it is set in Italy, which is where my mom's side of the family is from. So I was born in Canada, but my mom was born in Italy. So I'm first mm. generation Canadian on her side. Um, and my dad's family lived in Saskatchewan forever. So they're like <laughs> full Canadian. Um, so it's kind of like anytime a movie comes out that celebrates Italy, like Italians were very proud people. So uh, we watched it and I loved it. Um, I loved the feel of it. I loved the familiarity of it. I loved the visual styling of it. Like I think it was just really thoughtfully made. I love how the director um, like passionately told like a story that was so important to him um, about friendship. I love that it's a story about childhood with, like, real children, there's no romantic end game or, you know, like, it's, they're all just friends. It's that pre-adolescent time sure. period yeah. with mm-hmm. that fantastical element. And, um, and I loved how relatable the story was. And it just really, really touched me. And then it's something my kids love. Um, and have watched on repeats. Like one day we watched it five times and I'm okay with that. <laughs> <I bought these laughs> Did
2: you say one day or one week?
3: One day. That's <laughs> amazing. Oh, wow.
2: That's amazing. It
0: was just on repeat. They're like,
2: sure. Why not? Okay. Hey. <laughs> like then COVID <laughs> will make madhouses of all of us. Yes.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you're stuck at home, what are you gonna do? Yeah. I took my I daughter to the doctor the day. She's like, how much screen time? I'm like, too much.
2: Um, (laughs) yeah like you can ask me that now really if it's just one film though does that count you know yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's Um, hilarious yeah
3: and i just and i love the character like i think that all of the characters in the movie are well loved and well characterized and it just really really touched me like emotionally visually and thematically
2: Mm. that's awesome no that's awesome Um, i really loved when you your take on it because, and, and I imagine, I mean, both of you are thoughtful folks and, and, and not just thoughtful humans, but thoughtful media consumers as well. And you'll, you'll understand this phenomena where to, to crib a little bit of where we might go next week to get a different angle on a piece of media will reveal new appreciation for that. In other words, when I first saw it, <sighs> it was just in the context of oh it's Pixar let's check this out I found it charming it did not land really strongly for me um and so when you submitted I was like huh okay well that's that I did not know that about Vera but also I did not it's a little bit like my my at least feeble attempts on Moana to talk about how You know in my case a very feminine household gives me new eyes on how to see media in this instance it's okay well you as your background and insight revealing a level of depth and perhaps even profundity to it that i didn't quite grasp the first go around and so now i mean admittedly i I, of course watched it for this conversation but then even just like an hour and a half ago was rewatching scenes from it uh, and, and I'm very taken overall uh, with the piece. Um, Reed, do, do you have a, a particular, you know, initiation to Luca story?
4: Yeah. So um, obviously it premiering on Disney plus, we are tremendous Pixar fanatics in our household. Uh, the very first film that my son saw in the movie theater will always and forever be inside out. Um, so that's, you know, what we we just automatically, it was a no-brainer. It was like, Luca's coming out, so we're going to make time and we're going to sit down and watch it. And one thing that I will say that immediately endeared Luca to me, to, to, to the point that while maybe I wouldn't quite rank it in the upper echelon of Pixar, but definitely like boosts it way up the ladder of, pic- of the rest of Pixar's canon, is I, I need to talk for just a second about the difference between like premise and story. And I feel like Pixar have in many of their, the premise of their films have just aimed for the stars. They have just completely. For the you know, sardines. <laughs> so yes, for the sardines. Um, but like, you know, inside out the concept of, Oh, we're going to go inside a child's mind and we're going to, you know, use these very complex concepts of like what happens in the interior life of a child. And we're going to try to represent that in a story that is still accessible to children. and, Even something going back to the days of like Monsters, Inc. uh, is, is pretty high concept. Soul, which came out around Christmas, not that long before Luca, was very high concept. And so I think the immediate inclination for some people against Luca might be like, oh, well, this is not aiming very high. But I would counter that by saying like, yes, but pay attention to the details of the story because what they do by not aiming lower, but aiming simpler, I would say, is they get the chance to do some lovely and remarkably in-depth character work as a result. A lot of Absolutely. times, and I'm not I'm not saying their character work in other films have been subpar, but when you have a high concept, you have to devote a lot of your runtime to propping up the concept. And that has to be what you do. You got to explain the rules. You got to go into all that. With Luca, it's just basically, yeah, they're sea monsters. And when they get back on land, they change and they look like people. And it's a then, literal
3: fish out of water story. <laughs> yes,
4: exactly. And so then that onboards you to be able to just say, oh, okay, so let's just learn about these characters. And they do some they do some amazing work with the way that these characters interact with each other. Um, there's a pretty common thread through everything. And so while I would concede that the overall high concept is actually not that high and that it's a it, it's aiming for simpler things, I found it even more endearing, potentially even like sweeter and simpler in many ways, just as lovely or more lovely for having aimed at simpler things. And I feel like they successfully landed to the degree that like, yes, Luca really endeared itself to me. Like I I genuinely walked away with like, man, that was such a sweet, endearing piece. One that I might ironically be more inclined to revisit than some of the richer heavier broader stuff that pixar has delivered before then i'm like yeah i got a brace for that one like i got a brace for those first 10 minutes <laughs> oh, of up bing bong you know, again right you know like is <laughs> like my favorite disney character but like i got a brace for that whereas luca is very much just like no this is this is sweet it's immediately engageable and um, and so it endears itself to me all the more for that hopefully that makes sense but yeah
2: well and a phrase that just came to me is it's just eminently watchable like you you really yes. don't you, you can just almost anywhere in the film just sit down and start watching it. And mm-hmm. it, it is funny, you know, uh, maybe this did not occur for you guys, but I've, I maybe the, it's funny, read the way you phrase that and you're absolutely right. It is a more direct, mm-hmm. uh, narrative and, and even more traditional theme in a certain level on a certain sure. level. Um, But my first go around, and I know I've totally set this aside, but my first go around, and maybe this is just old fart Nathan, is I was like, man, what, what are we doing? Like (laughs) they're, they're fish people, not fish people. Now they're on land and then they're going to race. It was, it was funny. Like I don't know if I was just in my adult brain when I first tried to engage it. Uh, in my defense, I have totally parted ways with that cynicism, but yeah, it was because to your point, Reed, you aren't wrong. It isn't abstract high concept a la Mm -hmm. inside out and even something like a wally uh but i mean it it's got a bar that it sets in terms of okay i kind of got to go with you here uh and and sort of choose that path along with you but i would say you know it's it's well worth that energy um
3: yeah and and but and then even for like somebody like me who's grown up um like in the uh italian canadian community and um, with Italian speaking people, like for me, the movie is just really grounded in how well they represented, like my nonai, like my grandparents Mm. were from like, would would have been Massimo's age, um, Julia's dad, like Mm. around there um, when they left Italy, right? Like the early sixties. And just watching like um, Julia, when she pours espresso for the boys, Mm. Um, when they're like trying to train like I have that exact so model oh. of, <laughs> of percolating coffee pot like my exactly it awesome.
2: <laughs> oh I just um, love I the immediate that, yeah. after effect when when <laughs> Lucas on his back on the table kicking his legs like he's riding a bike <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, here I am <laughs> drinking this like Tim Horton swill but like I love uh, in my morning with my my espresso like that's I, what I drink every morning um, the old men sitting at a table playing scopa, which is an Italian card game mm-hmm.
0: um, that I
3: play with my nonno, like uh, my grandfather. Like, like all of these little touches throughout the movie, um, like uh, Trinite al pesto is something that like I made for yeah. dinner the other day. Like, um, these are they're they're just so grounded, and at the same time you have this fantastical element of like the the sea monsters, right? Um, right but just the the lovingly crafted bringing italy northern italy where my family is from north and mm. south italy are very different um uh to life it, it was just so moving to see
4: that's
2: awesome and the in the spirit of that it feels unless reed you'd rather hold off it feels appropriate to to head to some right things you know uh, uh that feels right yeah it does
1: that's <laughs> so right it's just so right it's just so right it's just so right. It's
2: just so right. All right, so this is fun. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to limit us too super strictly. I mean, we've already broken the mold a little bit on our watches, and this is Vera's. <laughs> um, this is Vera's uh, uh, submission here, so I want to be considerate to that. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe. Maybe one, maybe two each. Um Vera, I want you to pick something first. Um, and and I want to see where you go with this. So so what what would
4: you categorize as you watch Luca of a that's so right? And you yes. can feel free to name your biggest one. Like sure. feel free to name your best one.
3: Soundtrack.
4: <laughs> oh nice. Amazing. So yes. yeah.
3: The soundtrack to the movie is amazing. And the most that's so right thing to me is um I went out for dinner with, um, it was my, my zio's birthday, my uncle and my no came and he was there. And I only brought my oldest daughter cause it was at a, a restaurant, like a nicer Italian restaurant. And number one, the younger two aren't great in restaurants and have been in quarantine most of their life. and don't know how to behave in public anymore. And Isn't also yeah. don't know how to follow like the COVID rules. So I was like, mm, you stay home. Um, <laughs> but I did bring my oldest one. <laughs> um so i was showing my no no pictures and videos of my kids mm. and my kids are obsessed with the Lucas soundtrack like i downloaded a bunch of the songs um i know of uh, uh like uh gianni morandi he does a couple of songs in the movie and like my Nona used to listen to him he's very popular he's still around um but my youngest daughter loves to sing the song called viva la papas Aww. um and so she has like, this uh it's in so in the scene where they're training for uh-huh. the like the, the espresso scene it's the song in the back,
0: background okay it's like,
3: okay um,
2: mm-hmm. we'll have to cut that anyway, out anyway so she's got purposes, like this little microphone trying so so your daughter's sing singing italian. the song okay yeah yeah, yeah.
3: she's trying awesome. her best like it's all in italian she doesn't know italian but she's trying to sing along to it it's really cute so i took this video of her singing like the song and i showed it to my nono and he's like watching the video and he, he sounds like a very, like, he sounds like he's mad all the time. And he's watching <laughs> the video. He's like, ah, Rita Pavone. And I was like, he knows the song. And he's like, yes, I like her. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. My 93 year old, no, no, and wow. my two year old have the same thing. That's amazing. Music and oh. that's just so right.
2: <laughs> that, that, is is so right. right. Oh, that is so right. You win. That's so
4: right. What a amazing. great story. <laughs> um, Riri. You want me to go? Okay, sure. So, this is going to be so silly and impersonal, but it's my it's my top. Is I'm not even a cat person, but the cat being the first one to realize what is going on with Luca and Alberto, and then spending so like every scene looking at it like, <laughs> and, like just creeping up behind the thing like. Like it was, it was the most amazing, like simplistic little affectation. But that cat is at the top of my list of just like, Oh my gosh, it makes me chuckle every single time. Like he sees that they turn into sea monsters. And so then just everything after that is just like, mm. <laughs> like just raises up. And I just love it. I just, it makes me that's, laugh so much. I just think amazing. it's delightful. It's so right. right. It's so Read right.
2: Our cat, our cat lady. <laughs> cat Cat (laughs) lackey all right so we'll do this snake draft style i'll do two reed will come out to you and vera can finish us off with one more because there's a lot to be right about in this film uh so my two and and i'm kind of glad neither of you named it though it's it it's it would have been okay um one is a a more general one's a bit more specific the general one is just the friggin animation this is a beautiful Mm. film to look at yeah i mean it is bright and textured and colorful and it's it's so funny there was a, I watched a movie recently that was not my watch uh that was a kind of traditional blockbuster action film and and even watching that film there was an action scene coming and i thought this is probably going to be somewhat in the dark uh <laughs> i was like <laughs> and i was right it was like oh I can barely make out what's going on in the scene and so it's such (laughs) a breath of fresh air uh uh, and you know naturally it's it's quote unquote a kid film so so they're going to lean into the color but it's so bright it's so lovely um just i mentioned earlier scenes i re-watched was alberto and luca daydreaming about touching the sardines Mm. so that daydream and then that beautiful scene of Luca and Julia daydreaming after the telescope when he's running on Saturn. Mm-hmm. And then she's got the, the little airplane wings, things and they're going mm-hmm. through the Coliseum, um, just stuff like that. And if you, if you look particular scenes, the textures are just amazing. Yeah. Like they're amazing. The film really looks beautiful and not just in a, oh, Pixar is really good at what they do in animation i don't mean that i mean it, it's distinct uh mm. it does not look like uh the 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 excellent nature of the animation looks like pixar but the visual style is is pretty different uh than yeah. what they would typically put forth yeah.
3: the amount um, of care they put into that to make it so like even just the colors yeah um between like underwater and on land mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um uh, on the DVD special features, they talk about how they even like were testing in the ocean around like where they went to visit and wow. to to test the aeration of the ocean. So when you see them jumping in the water and stuff and how many bubbles come wow. up and they do wow. that that's so is crazy. so I love intentional. That.
0: Yeah, mm, that's um, amazing.
2: No, I, I love that. And just uh, what I was really captivated by, too, when I referenced textures, is just like the clothes and the hair. And mm. even little things like the skin tones, you know, if you, if you look at it, um, you know, like for instance, Julia is very freckly and late in the film, Alberto's got, I, I could be wrong, but I think he's, he's more tan by the end of the film than he is at the beginning. So just mm-hmm. all that really lovely stuff. So my real specific one, and then I'll, I'll pivot back over to Reed is y'all. I love Julia. I love that little <laughs> kid. So yeah, hmm. much. That I love that kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, she feels like a feature-length version of Kid Ellie from Up, and it's she's infectious. Um, you know, precocious. She's impulsive. She can do. She doesn't take any crap from nope. those stupid boys. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tito, we do. God, I love that. Uh, but I love Julia and Reed. You were talking about the character work, little things. And, and, you know, maybe it's just we are kindred spirits, Julia and I, but, <laughs> you know, underdogs, kids who dress weird uh, are a little sweatier than average. And she raises her armpits. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I feel you, girl. Too That's, much.
0: Uh, too much. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: I just love so little great. moments like that. Just just really speak to these children and their thoughts and their insecurities. And, and you know, kind of I don't know. I, I really just love that character. I mean, I know uh, she's part of this trio primarily, but she just. And it's interesting. She doesn't enter the story until probably thirty, forty minutes. Um, yeah. yeah. And and I just I just love every scene she's in. So yeah, that's that's my. She's that's wonderful. So writes Riri.
4: Uh, so it's it's really funny. You and Vera are rightfully, and it's 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 quite appropriate calling out all of these beautiful craft things that the film does. <laughs> it reads and, like it, you know, the cat. You, yeah, choice of At the fish. soundtrack, choice of the, right, choice of the <laughs> soundtrack, the, the, uh, you know, impressive texturing work, the animation style, everything. And, uh, and yes, I applaud all of that. I, that's absolutely right. Uh, I'm gonna throw some love to creepy, weird, but somehow hysterical Uncle Ugo. Oh, uh, and his, he's hysterical. And, and yeah. like, he's all like, ah. You can come with me to the deep (laughs) and we'll have all the whale caucus that you're going to eat. Luca, punch him in the heart harder. (laughs) So funny. And so, um, so yes, I've just, I mean, like, obviously there's a, there's a multitude of things to love about this film. Uh, there's there's some more when we get into the theme that I'm sure I'll probably break out and be like, yes, I had more than a superficial viewing of this film. But yes, I loved the cat because the cat made me laugh. <laughs> Uncle Ugo made me laugh hysterically. So yes, yeah. these are the things that are so right to me about this. And so I'm thankful I have you guys to uh, uh h- highlight the craftsmanship, the uh noteworthy and applauseworthy craftsmanship that went into it. Meanwhile, I'm going to Throw some love for that little groaning cat and uh, Uncle Ugo and all his weirdness at the bottom of the ocean.
3: <laughs> also, that they named the cat Machiavelli is hilarious to me. <laughs> That's so funny.
4: It's so awesome. Um, have you oh. seen the
3: after credit scene with Uncle Ugo?
4: Oh, yes. I absolutely have. Yeah, where yeah. he's got, what is it, Giuseppe or whatever? The, the one, yeah, like, yeah, the little, fish.
3: He's like, little, oh, little I little messed fish. up.
4: <laughs> like it's so funny. Oh my gosh. She's well, like, I just love just learning
2: that Sasha Baron Cohen. Like, yeah, that makes sense. That's course, exactly.
4: Yeah. Yes, it's so funny.
2: <laughs> Vera, any you want to finish that so right with? Uh
3: yeah. My last one is gonna be uh Luca's mom.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And like just the classic uh overbearing Italian mother. Um my Nona has I, like I lived with my Nona for uh eight years while I was in post secondary school. Um, just because proximity she was closer to where I went to both of my schools. And um and I would uh travel by myself on on public transit and she would make sure you come straight home. You know, don't talk to the strangers, they want to do the murders on you. Like that's <laughs> how she is actually word for word said, do the murders. No, oh, that's, <laughs> that's so hilarious. funny.
2: That's awesome. <laughs>
3: the, the characterization of of Lucas Mom is perfecto.
2: Well, and uh, uh, played by Maya Rudolph, who actually was featured last as a mom in and Machines, or at least that I'm aware of. Mm. Uh, That was a fun reprisal there. Now, I do feel we we aren't in that ain't right kind of territory, but I do feel like, um, and you know what? Before I do that, we'll exit. That's so right. (laughs)
1: That's just so right.
2: Now that we're out back in the standard world, uh, uh, I did want to throw out, uh, if, if we were doing a traditional, that ain't right. And, and this'll be, you know, worth, uh, uh, talking as much or as little as we want to about this moment. But y'all, when Luca turns on Alberto, that that's is awful. painful. That's hard. Like yes, that that's is, so I, I do remember watching that the first time and just really, that is tough. That is a very strong choice to have your character make, uh, uh, yes.
4: Yeah, that's
3: I was do you know- impressed that they went there.
4: To yeah, service. yeah. I was going to say like were you say? No, uh, almost almost the same thing. I'll go into a little bit more detail why is just that like to go there with your main character, especially one who spends most of the rest of the movie you want him to break out and you want him to kind of push forward and you want everybody to stop holding him back from all these wonderful things about the world around him that he wants to explore. Um, the other thing that I appreciated, maybe pivoting a little bit back to the Moana conversation is the film justifies the reconciliation. He has to work for it. He has to yeah. go back and he has to make a man. And, and, and like, <laughs> well, I'm just saying like he has yeah. to go back and they, they just, it, it speaks to the strength. Again, I, I said it earlier. It speaks to the strength of the character work. Every single character beat these people make except for, well, and I, I won't even say except for, uh, his name eludes me, but the villainous sort of competitor in the, in the bike race. But Ercole. Um, okay, Ercole. Yeah. Maybe Ercole is a little character, you know, caricature ish, but not totally. And, and I feel like uh, there is a He's lot so funny. Of a really great character work that's done with these rhythms. These characters feel very lived in, like you know, their enti- the entirety of their interior life. And um, when he turns on Alberto, yes, it's devastating. Um, but the moment that of reconciliation that comes later when then he learns more about Alberto's father and everything is just so lovely and it's so rich and it just adds to the, the, the layers that they've baked into the time with these characters that I really appreciated. So, yeah, speaking of baking, I've
2: got a (laughs) fun quest. I've got a fun question to, uh, to, to get us above the water here. Um, so this is your moment. To oh no, you know toot the horn of a local establishment or your own kitchen, but Reed and Vera, what is your favorite pasta dish? Pasta. If you pasta features quite specifically in this film in a few specific ways, and I just thought it'd be fun to like go <clears throat> deep in our conversation right now, like oh, super man. below the surface. <laughs> and and really mine the depths of our, our, our culinary palates uh, to discuss what our favorite pasta dishes are. Now, Barry, you are a, a master chef uh, mm-hmm. of <laughs> on par with Gordon Ramsay, uh, nope. uh, and so you, your kitchen may be home to the dish you end up referencing. I am not that. I don't know if Reed is or not. So feel free also to reference. You know, maybe there's a restaurant locally. Maybe it's been a while since you've been there. Um, while y'all are pondering, if you need to, I will, uh, uh, see, I, I, one of my early jobs as a, well, one of my first jobs was at a pizza place. So, you know, there you go. Uh, but my first serving job was at a Carabas, which is in a, yeah, at least faux Italian. I don't know how, how legitimate they are. Uh, like so magic I, Italian. <laughs> do what?
3: Oh, um, I'm sorry. Come Manji on. Cake. Come on. <laughs> so you it's a like canadian fake. um you guys have a different word uh i think it's mergen in, poser kind of yeah <laughs> like manja cake is like uh it means cake eater but like oh. that's the canadian like well, what we I'm call that more yes. white
2: people. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yes well, well. what's funny is carrabba's throw shade at olive garden for not yeah. being yeah, legitimate. yeah mm-hmm. olive garden
3: is like manja cake like it, garden, it all
2: you know. rolls downhill, yes. Real Italians throw the shade at at, at, at Carabas. Carabas throws shade at Olive Garden and and then Olive Garden just has good bread. Uh but <laughs> I do want to shout out locally, uh uh here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I I don't know if we have Charlotte listeners these days, but Mama Ricotta's uh Santa mm. Ricotta uh uh <laughs> has a Pinnae Ola vodka that is really just it's amazing and i love it and i would like some right now that i'm talking about it that so if it weren't thirty, 30 and i didn't live about 20 <laughs> minutes from it i would door dash <laughs> some mama ricotta's uh, uh vodka um i'm gonna let mm. vera our authentic go last Reed, oh when okay.
4: when when you think pasta what do you think well i mean it's the, the place that I name is going to be far more exotic than the dish that I name. I mean, so I'll just lead with that. Like when I think pasta, like it is very, very hard to beat just a good spaghetti marinara meatball. Like that is that, that to me is like, okay, yeah, that's the common one. I also love a good shrimp scampi, which is not mm-hmm. technically, you know, like, you know, that's not fully pasta based, but that's, yes, it's such a magic cake. Yes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I love that. I, you know, there's, uh, there's lots of, I mean, fettuccine, Alfredo. There's lots of ones that I just like a lot, but I will cite that the very first place that my wife and I, when she was not my, even my steady girlfriend, um, but that I took her on a date was to an Italian restaurant down in uh, Hollywood called Michelli's. And it, it's this wonderful little uh, restaurant. It's got a wonderful atmosphere, very like old school Italian vibe. Um, and they even, the, the, the waiters and staff even sing to you. They will just burst out an uproarious song periodically throughout your meal. And it is just absolutely lovely and delightful. So in terms of do like, do you remember what on, your meal there was? I'm sure it was spaghetti and meatballs. Like no. I'm sure like that's, that's like, what I'm saying. Like when
2: the moon hits your eye, like a bigger pizza pie, that's a lie. A <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: yes. story. Every Italian wedding I've ever been to. That's the yeah. song that opens oh. the dance floor.
2: <laughs>
4: that's yeah. lovely. That and did, Italiano, I'm, you know? Like,
2: yeah. yeah. I made a reference earlier. I mean, I don't know if you've seen this movie, Vera, but it's, it's got a lot of that Italian energy to it is Return to Me, which post X-Files David Duchovny featured on and has Mini Driver in it, but it's got a wonderful soundtrack featuring uh, old Blue Eyes and Dean Martin. So no, it's fun. Go check it out. Vera, pasta, go. Uh,
3: yeah, it's it's hands down my no-no's ragu. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, like any sauce that takes less than, like I'll be generous four hours to make is the mandje cake. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, it might as well be chef boyardee, you know.
3: Yeah, basically. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like I um he's not able to make it anymore. He's uh in a a retirement home. Um but he gave me the recipe, specifically only me the recipe. Um that's awesome. and it has to be made with his wine, which I hoard. Mm-hmm. Like I mm-hmm. uh, I have like jugs of it that I use very sparingly because that's it.
0: <laughs>
3: wow. Um but yeah, it's just, it's the most flavorful, just best, best, best sauce ever. Um, but if I am recommending a place, um, Rob and I, when we first got married, lived in the beaches of Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. We don't live there anymore, but the beaches is like a very um, popular east downtown-ish area close to the beach uh lake ontario and uh there is a restaurant that we used to go to every year for our anniversary called giorgio's um and it mm. is like authentic italian food handmade pasta handmade sauces it's delicious wow. their gnocchi was amazing so no oh,
2: we yeah, i do like a gnocchi oh. yeah that's good yes. stuff <laughs> oh man uh, what it's my wonderful. four-year-old calls pinocchi
4: uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, and I have to <laughs> shout up like my son's favorite dish. And to be honest, like I eat a lot of this too, although this is not very sophisticated is just to take uh, pasta noodles of any variety and you cook them and then you throw a little, Maybe throw a little butter, but most especially you just throw a bunch of Parmesan cheese on it plain as can be, but it is yeah. wonderful. And sometimes when I just need a little pick me up snack, that is one of my go to's just like, OK, yeah, just going to make a little pasta, throw some Parmesan on it, blend it around. Yeah. It's delicious. You, can't,
3: you can't go wrong with noodles, butter and Parmesan. Like, <laughs> no,
4: it's it's delightful. So, yes,
2: yeah. this is we need to have a fear of God meet up at <laughs> some Italian restaurant. Oh, we do. Um that was fun. I, I really enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> what do you want
4: to talk about next? Well, I would like to yield Please. the floor a little bit to to Vera and just ask like, ex- well, and I will say like you already sort of set the stage a little bit with why this was your what saves us entry, but uh, you had, and I won't lead the witness too much, but you had some really touching and, and thoughtful things. That you observed specifically about one of the characters in this film, and so like I'd like to just invite you to to just. I have
3: some trivial bits. Can we do some trivial? Oh bits? yes. Yeah.
4: Oh please, especially um, yes.
3: Just two specifically. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Um. Did you know that there's a parasite tie-in?
4: A parasite tie-in of all yeah. No, <laughs> I did Bong Ho film. Party? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Bong Ho film. film.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know the scene in Parasite where they, um. Spoiler alert! The they've found the room in the basement. They Respect. they come up and the family is what? Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, I'm and sorry. Then, go ahead.
3: <laughs> and the uh, the family uh, is being held captive in the family room. Yes. And the maid and her husband are there. Uh, and the the family tries to make a break for it. It's the peaches scene where she goes to the peaches and grabs mm. the from and like rubs it in. The basement. Yeah. So oh, the yeah. song that plays in the background of that scene is. Gianni Morandi, who has two <gasps> songs in Luca.
4: <laughs> oh wow! Never would have pulled that up. That's who knew Bong Jun Ho was Italian? I did not. You know, like
3: <laughs> he's just like one of the most popular and beloved Italian singers. Like my nonna would call him, like uh, un patrimissimo which or yeah, that's right, which means like a national treasure. Like
4: oh, like, okay, yeah, yeah, just yeah. very, that's very awesome. beloved. Like. Mm. not world like Hey,
2: bear <laughs> at risk of a stupid question just because I uh, um, <laughs> like me stumbling and Oh, there is a coda, you know? So <laughs> this may be one of those moments. Um, have you been to Italy?
3: No, I have never okay. been. Um, we talked about maybe going for our 10 year anniversary, which was this year. Mm. But... <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
4: mm. Yeah. But then uh, there's this whole thing happening right now that sort right? of makes that difficult. Um, my, yeah. But
3: yeah, uh, my, my, I lived with my Nona for eight years. Um, when my, I was little, my beast, Nona, my great grandmother lived here and she only spoke Italian. Mm. So when, my, um, when I was little, because my mom is deaf and signs American Sign Language uh, mm. and they would speak Italian for her, I would translate from Italian into ASL for my mom with uh. family conversations and things like that. My parents sent me to Italian school for many years when I was a kid. Yeah. And I would love, love, love to visit my family there. My Nona has one sister still alive in Italy and a, you know, a bunch of kids and cousins and stuff that I would love to see.
4: Aww. That's cool. That's yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It's
2: but awesome. to um, so kind of to Reed's question, is there, what, are there any other layers you'd like to kind of unpack post trivial bits about <laughs> your connection to the film?
3: Uh, yeah. So one of the care, my favorite character in the movie is actually Julia's dad, Massimo. Mm. Um, I think that he is, uh, he's big and intimidating, but very soft spoken and very, I think that he is kind of, he's like the heart of the movie almost like Mm. there's the beautiful story that has heart in it, but he is the one that shows the most kindness, um, throughout. And he may not have been shown that kindness throughout his life. Um, it's revealed in the movie that he was born with one arm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he probably struggled a lot. And um, my mom having been born in Italy with a, uh, not born deaf, but she lost her hearing through a bellow when she was really little. Um, Mm -hmm. So um, being in Italy with a disability and it being very, very difficult for her and my family, um, something that I related to a lot. And like, he obviously became very strong, big, well-respected You know, he's the, he runs the, uh, the, like, he's the fishmonger of the town and he shows compassion to Luca and Alberto. He takes Alberto under his his wing. He sees something in him that he can foster and grow, right? Like you see throughout the movie that he kind of favors Alberto, like probably because he sees Luca is more well-rounded, probably has family somewhere and that Alberto needs that fostering. And he, you know, it's not explicitly said any of that throughout the movie that he struggled or anything like that. It's just things that I've surmised. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of the movie, um, when they are revealed as being sea monsters uh, and the town surrounds them and Ercole, you know, gives his, his speech about how they're disgusting and ugly. Right. And everybody's <clears> afraid <throat> of you. And we don't know you. And he's the one that steps forward. And he's like, you know what? I know who they are. They are, Luca and Alberto, mm. And I think, and I just think it's such a powerful moment. Um, mm. And then the other fishermen kind of look at each other and then look at him and they're like, okay. Yeah. Back right. And mm. then everybody kind of comes to accept them because this strong person who has a weakness, has a physical weakness has, has said, yeah, you know what? I've accepted them and you should as well, because they are more than what you see here. They are Luca and Alberto. They are whole we, like I, I know them, right? Yeah. Um, I just think it's so beautiful. <laughs>
4: it's so well, t- what I love, yeah, what I love about, and, and this might be a bit of a misnomer to the, at least, you know, mechanics of the film to say this, but in the broader metaphor of what he's doing is like, he is intentionally in, in a moment that is trying desperately to dehumanize them literally and make them monsters yeah, his his invocation of their name is an active humanizing like I'm going to humanize you right now. You are Luca and Alberto and you are the winners, you know, and and that choice is such a lovely one that, like you said, he is clearly respected in the town. He is clearly the voice that, oh, well, we're not going to buck against Massimo. Mons- you know, like you know, yeah. that's, he said it. So we're in, you know. And uh, and I find that a truly remarkably lovely thing, just the choice to actively humanize in this moment that could have gone a, a thousand different wrong directions. He makes a choice to intentionally step in and provide substance and provide uniqueness and specialty to them um, in their clearly most mo- most vulnerable moment. And he is, it's amazing that they do something like that. It Other films that have not uh, necessarily done the homework to substantiate the characters as well as this film has, that would feel like just the necessary or the arbitrary plot device. Oh, he's come to a revelation or whatever. But to your point, they've baked in a tremendous amount of subtext to all of these character relationships. So it is rooted in something that is much more personal and an outgrowth from him that is much more in alignment like i think back to the earlier scene in the movie when uh luca and julia come in and alberto's not with them and what is his immediate reaction to throw the Trinity Alpesto pesto down on the table and to go out after him you know yeah. like that that's an intentional choice that again grounds his later decision it's this is this is a character who cares and is paying attention And uh, and I think I think it is. It's a really profound moment. I'm I'm so happy that that's one of the notes that the climactic resolution of the film chooses to end on. It's it's really lovely.
2: Well, and I love that. You know, beyond even just the the, I mean, uh, the the character ness of it undergirds this notion as well. But even, you know, like what a what a sort of mature uh, mature character choice wise narrative choice to have him make that turn because not only does it humanize alberto and luca on its face but it also undercuts the economy of this town at least in part yes. you know and and so the the gravity <laughs> take me gravity uh uh <laughs> Of that moment is extremely powerful, and and all I can think about is the idea, and 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 really, you've done a good job of painting the the mental, Im- the the correct image of Massimo. As I mean, he is this kind of visually this boulder of a a figure, uh, and yet carries this. I don't know if it's an appropriate word, but what's coming to me is kind of woundedness, this sort of. Thing that has otherized him throughout his life,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and because of that, and 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 so there's this really powerful undercurrent there of staying close to our woundedness, so that we can see it in others, so that we don't do like the town automatically does and has done for years and perhaps generations, perpetuate that otherizing. You know, there's just, there's just something really powerful in that I've got to, I've got to throw this out and I've already spoiled the punchline inadvertently, but I had it earlier and I forgot (laughs) to mention it. So last time the three of us were together was on stranger things on that trip. And on that episode, I referenced the, uh, uh, wonder I had at my four-year-old swimming capabilities. And y'all at that point, I'd only seen Luca once and it wasn't top of brain. Well, clearly she had seen it a couple of times cuz I didn't know this is what she was doing. But when she would jump from the side of the pool, she would go "Gravity!" Oh. And I was like, man, I have no idea what she's saying, but it's really cute. And so then when I rewatched it, I was like, "Oh my gosh. This was totally <laughs> gravity." Yeah, she was saying "take, Take me, me gravity. gravity" when she jumped oh, into the pool. Awesome. It's hysterical. That's
0: so cute. Yeah, that's
2: yeah, awesome. yeah. It was great. So it's so lovely. no, I really love that that identification and through line getting back to him as a character. And, and, you know, it, 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 to circle it back to the, the, that ain't right moment of, of, um, Luca outing Alberto, like what a, what an interesting, you know, reflection, an interesting inverse of that idea, which is for a moment, Luca buys into the power of the air, right. Mm. He, he, mm. he jumps on board the other rising. Uh, yes. because, yeah. because he has in a moment decided to distance himself from his, if we can say it, otherness, his, his self, you mm-hmm. know, his mm-hmm. true self, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I really,
4: really love that through line. Uh, and it's part I... of what, no, you go ahead. Vera, <laughs> go ahead <Reed>. you. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I was just going to say is, I, and and I love the decision, of course, at the end where at the end, when they're actually doing the race, Alberto is running back with the with the, parasol and he's going to protect uh mm-hmm. luca as he's about to ride down and protect him from the rain and of course Ercole just you know devastates that and alberto is outed i love that in that moment the forgiveness that alberto presents to luca by you know he was exposed before and luca and of course they'd already reconciled by that point but he was exposed before and luca was like sea monster or whatever Here's a moment where he's actually telling him like no, stay back. Like don't don't expose yourself. And so the protection that they both have for each other in that moment is so is so lovely as a center point or like you know like a contrast to what they had experienced before where when that that whole thing came out. Like every character, every major character in this, not Uncle Ugo obviously, but every character <laughs> is like is Is dealing with their own sense of insulation, their own preconceptions about the way the world is supposed to function. Like I even like the, like Luca is naive. You know, he is, he is the fish out of water in this story. Like he is unfamiliar with the surface world. And so then he hears about the surface world from Alberto, who clearly has some misguided notions of sardines in the sky and everything. And so then julia opens up the whole expanse of this is the universe like let me open up the universe to you and everything is so great but you can observe in the other characters in uh lucas parents in alberto in all of the townspeople the insulation in which they're operating and saying like well this is the world like i've you know i'm going to go back to something that we said on contact where uh you know that that character had said you know i always thought the world is what we make it and I did find it very interesting, maybe because that conversation was recent and it's echoing in my head as I'm making my way through Luca this time around, seeing the ways in which every character feels so assured of, well, this is just the way the world is. They're never going to let a sea monster in school. They're never going to accept you. You know, his his parents are not ultra protective out of like domineering. Despite they're genuinely concerned for him. What is going to happen? This is a town where people presumably are terrified of fish monsters and are going to hunt them. They're going to, they're going to hurt him, you know? And, um, and so I just love that the film presents that insulation. And honestly, the most judgy moment in the, in the film is probably, I mean, Ercole is a little bit of a mustache twirling villain, but other than him, the most judgmental moment or the moment that we're most inclined to judge is actually against Luca. When he outs Alberto, Everybody else, it's just presented with a certain grace that it's just like, no, this is the insulation in which they're operating. This is the way they see the world. And then the movie somewhat gracefully just enters them into an opening up and they see like, oh yeah, the world is more than this. The world is beyond this. And I find that just so lovely. I find it hopeful and inspiring Just this idea of like, oh, it is a fearful thing to think that the world is more than just what I understand. But when they open the doors to this, like, I even love the little touches of the fact that the two old ladies were sea monsters. Yeah. And so yeah. then they just <laughs> take off the, you know, the hats and everything. And it's like, I feel like just that little way of like, oh yeah, the, even the observation that Luca's grandmother makes. Like, yeah, not not everybody's gonna... I just, there's there's yeah. such a maturity yeah. to that but, sentence. Like yeah, not find everybody's people, going, yeah, But he's he's good at finding the good ones. You know, like, and... And I think that's such a remarkable thing to try to, to try to wrap your head around of like, yeah, like it's, it's not always going to be easy. And it's not always going to be the, the people around you, uh, like you and accept you or willingly embrace you. Um, but if you're lucky and if you're intentional, you have a fair shot at finding the ones who will embrace you and who will accept you. And, and, uh, that's, it's, it's very, very lovely.
3: Yeah. Like I've said that um, a
4: multitude of times, but.
3: Two things that you said. One, mustache twirling villain with his little wispy mustache.
4: <laughs> so funny.
1: Like a catfish.
3: <laughs> yeah, like a catfish. <laughs> um, no, and and what you just said um, about his grandmother's remarks about he's, not everybody's going to accept him, but he has a knack for finding the ones that, that will. Mm. Mm. Um, I think that that is such a, a beautiful sentiment because Luca is a movie about friendship but also about family and i Mm. i i like there's a a trend now where um uh found family is a huge thing in media right Mm -hmm. and and that's great because you know some people don't have family that they can rely on for for the things that you should rely on family for and they have to find uh, a group a family outside of that that will right um so found family definitely has its place um, but also that they show even though his parents are limited in, in their worldview at first right they come to accept being on the human world they come to accept that luca wants to go away to school right mm, they mm. they slowly open up to to changes that they wouldn't have before and so he still has his family family um yeah. and something that is really important um to italian people is family right? So. The mm-hmm. fact that he's got his found family in in Julia, um, and Alberto has that, uh, or Julia and Alberto, the two of them, um, that, uh, he finds Massimo, right, like uh, as a, a father figure, um, mm-hmm. but he also still has his parents and his grandmother who love him, yeah, and I think that that's just a, a wonderful touch, where where you don't see that type of familial relationship, right? Parents aren't perfect. Luca hasn't always made the best decisions but right you know look me in the eye you know i love you right
0: mm-hmm. and
3: it's not done in a a manipulative way like mother gothel Tangle, right when she says
2: you're you're remembering um, again huh <laughs> i was making a tangle reference Tangle reference mother gothel reference sorry, sorry. <laughs> Wow. Well, it know, happens yep
3: um <laughs> yeah i love you i love you more i love you most like that's manipulative when she does that with Rapunzel, right? But when Luca's mom is doing it with him, and when he does it back to her at the end, like that's that's true love. Like they love you. Yeah,
4: one. yeah.
3: Um, and that's yeah. beautiful to see.
4: I just have you to know, say before we well, before yeah. you stay in the deep uh-huh. moment. I just love that moment. She's like, I was so so proud of you and so so mad at you, but I'm so proud of you and I'm so <laughs> mad at you. Like I just <laughs> thought, like, oh my god, that is that is such a real feeling. Anyway, go ahead, Ned.
2: man. I am I am so you know. Uh... The contours with the family idea is a a manifestation of this as well. But you know, your highlighting of Massimo, I can't get away from. And I just what I wrote down at that scene, rewatching it with with your take in mind is people can change. Yeah, and we forget that, and we almost don't want that yeah right but when presented with new information we can make those turns and 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 i bear what you're describing is this this kind of rolling experience of of clusters or groups having a graduated version of change but massimo illustrates that so sharply mm-hmm. and and i just find that extremely powerful because sometimes we i think can e- even for those of us who might think ourselves open-minded open-hearted you know kind of compassionate or whatever can still fall in this trap of the the, the discourse of the day uh, mm. and I don't mean literally a a single day but as in just the the era in which we find ourselves that right. would right. that would otherwise that would distance that would you know tell ourselves that that so and so can't change and um it's really powerful I, I I recently watched, and, and I'll, I'll throw this in just as a, as a real-world illustration of, of that idea. I, um, the three of us are peers on social media, so y'all will be familiar that this was in my radar. But for anyone who is unaware, there's a Netflix documentary that Blumhouse actually produced uh, called Pray Away. And it is about this. Uh, it was a U.S.-based... Uh, uh, organization begun in the late, the early '80s, I believe, mid '80s, somewhere in there, maybe even late '70s, called Exodus International, that ultimately was, uh, you know, a, 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 an evangelical organization, uh, not maliciously so, but but whose mission was kind of de-gaying people, and to to put it real crudely, you know, um, kind of. Uh, doing this work of of convincing folks that that they either that they definitely shouldn't be but didn't have to be and that there was a path out of being gay and the film is just examining the history of this organization and sort of you know of course it will be some semi obvious that it, it would have a pro lgbtq sort of sensibility to it uh and thus is not really on the side of exodus but what That notwithstanding, there's a really powerful moment late in the film where it it tracks the history and it's highlighting uh, uh, about half a dozen different real people who have been in the orbit of this organization for years, uh, one of whom is, you know, uh, probably from your generation Vera in terms of age and uh, late in the film, this woman whose name I can't recall, but she is on she she at the, at the notion of the, or at the events of the film had been, or or was uh, a homosexual identified as homosexual had been involved with Exodus for years, but she was their social media person. Um, There's, there's some interesting story related to her, but also um, she in the present day, you're seeing, she's also getting married to a woman. So clearly we're, we're going to connect the dots chronologically between where the story is and where her story is. Well, late in the film, and in her role as social media person for Exodus at that point in time, which would have been, I don't know, 2013, 14, uh, uh, people with knowledge of these headlines, will will might know these dates, but she starts connecting with, and they term them the survivors of Exodus international, you know, people who came into it kind of hoping to, to experience what it seemed like they were offering and, and left kind of to, to continue being lgbtq and so she starts connecting with these survivors and i'm going somewhere real specific about how people can change and she starts connecting with these survivors and through events that are detailed in the film sets up this meeting amongst these survivors who who are carrying trauma from their experience with Exodus international and the at that time president of Exodus international basically saying Hey, we want to create a dialogue between those who have suffered trauma by their by their admission at the hands of this organization and the current organization itself at that time this organization had been around for 30 years um or so and there's this really powerful scene y'all and i would encourage the two of you to uh to watch the film if no one else uh if only because the scene is very moving where you watch this woman who orchestrated this Meeting and they, they filmed the meeting when it was occurring several years ago, because it was intended sort of as this like bridge building meant to, mm. who knows if it would ultimately be some sort of marketing tool for the company or whatever. Uh, but so they did film it and you see her reflecting on the experience of these trauma survivors, her own experience, the, the, the other end of the spectrum with the, the president of the organization. Y'all, the, the, the meeting is so powerful. The president of the organization walks away and shudders the entire entity. Wow. Says what we have. It's, it is a Massimo moment. It is, Mm. we have developed an economy. We have developed uh, an organizational body built on a thing. We can no longer endorse. And, and the (laughs) head of this entity that had been around for 30 plus years says, we are closing our doors. We have been wrong. And it's Mm -hmm. such a powerful moment and was really you know rear when you brought up in your submission about this character specifically that rung out to me of just and and how moving and how how much our our place in the world sometimes relies on on resisting that people can change yeah Mm -hmm. and that can be a very devastating revelation sometimes to us to realize well well, if this thing, I don't know that I want this thing to change. I don't know that I want to build this bridge. I don't know that I want to, uh, uh, show compassion, you know, because of what that might mean or what that might imply. Um, sorry, I, I don't mean to run off at, on, on that particular story, but it is really was this interesting connection to me between those two characters and this, this just thing that can happen. That we sometimes or often forget can happen and occasionally even don't want to happen because of its implications. Right. right. And I think,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. No, and I Mas- think that- like
3: Massimo's face with a choice, right? And in the same mm. way that that person was faced in that moment having to make a decision, right?
0: Mm.
3: And you can either continue the status quo or you can make a change.
4: Right. Yeah. And I think it really comes down to uh, not to. Uh, these are complex things. And so it's, it's actually, it it, it is, uh, much like this, much like what I would say about this film. It is a simpler aim and a more direct aim, but it really speaks to the character or lack thereof to have to make a choice. Basically, like when, when you're faced with acceptance or rejection of a person as who they are, you know, like, uh, somebody presents themselves and we may have any number of of particular like uh, it feels reductive to call it quibbles but we we may have any number of feelings about how they've chosen to navigate their world how they've chosen to present themselves how they've chosen to live their life but i find that if we are constantly and i think nathan you've expressed something of this nature when you were talking about barking at the choir or barking to the mm. choir where it's it's basically like There can be such an impulse to want to be the agent of change and like well i want to be the one to help influence or i want to be the one to help change them instead of navigating your world with eyes and ears open to what will be changing you and what will be pushing you forward and what will be opening your heart and mind to certain things and can you know I, I back on that real quick yeah because sure. it's so funny you bring up that
2: book because literally that is if if you could if I could go like this you'd see that was in my in, on the front <laughs> like of my brain because
0: key yeah yeah yeah, yeah yes, yes. Yes. nice yes. reference
2: that's why you're here um, uh, uh, the in that book Gregory Boyle would what, what I can't shake a phrase that has stayed with me since I've read it that that resonates in this moment is stop trying to save people and start wondering how people are doing
4: mm-hmm.
2: and yeah. that's that's the essence of it you know f- when faced in that moment massimo okay well you know you can interpret the say people say people however you want but in his in that moment he recognized how these people are doing alberto and yeah. luca, which is troubled in trouble and and kindred spirits you know yes and so then you act in accordance yeah and on no, the flip
3: side of it too you have luca and alberto and even like the two old ladies in the town um his grandmother on weekends like they feel like they have no choice but to assimilate, right? Mm -hmm. They hide the fact that they are sea monsters with their human skin. They avoid water, right? They they do all of the things that the townspeople do in order to fit in, to assimilate because they believe that, well, they're land monsters, we're sea monsters, and there is no... There's no connection there. We, we, we can't find a middle ground. We can't change. They can't change. This is the way things are and have been. Right. And like the, the, another thing I love about this movie is just how many layers there are to all of the material. And like, this is like kudos to, um, the director whose name is Enrico Casarosa, I believe. Um, and, uh, the context of the era that the movie takes place in, right, which is like 50s, 60s Italy. Mm. Um, Mm. it is around like the second great migration of Italians to North America.
0: Mm. And
3: I think it's around the time that he, he came in like the sixties or seventies with his family to America. Um, He the director and pardon.
0: He, the the director. director? Okay.
3: Yeah. And, um, and the experience of the Italian or like the Italians, when they came to North America in both the United States and Canada faced a lot of hostility. Post World War Two, um, I know that in I'm not sure about in the United States, but I know in Canada. Like during World War Two, there were some um, Italians that got put in camps. Um, there were about three thirty thousand that had to fingerprint every week and check mm. in and all that kind of stuff. And and so post war there was a lot of um, racism towards Italian people, and even before yeah. then too, during like the first migration um, and the the work that they were able to find um work you know typically lower jobs quote unquote mm. um like my my no um and many other Italian Canadians in the Toronto area, they all had a hand in building the CN Tower because that was mm. the laborer's job, right? And it was immigrants mm. that did that. Um so uh
2: they get the job done.
3: They did yeah <laughs> still standing <laughs> still there. It's not the tallest building anymore. Thanks a lot. But um <laughs> Um, but, but the, the idea of where some Italians, um, that were able to at the time tried to assimilate, right? They tried to fit in. They tried to, um, I, even I had the experience when I was a kid, like I was embarrassed when my mom would send me to school with like mozzarella and provolone sandwiches. Like I wanted peanut butter and jam, like all my huh. friends, like it, it was embarrassing, right? Now I'm just like, what was I thinking? Santa mozzarella. Santa <laughs> <laughs> mozzarella. Um, but yeah, uh, but you want to fit in, you want to assimilate, you want to be like everybody else. Right. Um, and so I love that the director brought his experience, you know, coming to North America and probably what his family experienced in terms of trying to assimilate, trying to fit in with the culture here at the same time, uh, when you're with your, your Italian relatives, your Italian friends, your family, like you can be. Who you are. But when you're out in the world, you feel like you have to fit in. And it's not just like the immigrant experience that feels that, right? I mentioned disability before, right? The, the need to try and assimilate. Um, both of my parents being deaf and being raised in an era where sign language was frowned upon, doctors said, you know, if you taught your kids sign language, they would be the R word. Um, mm. So my grandparents also well, spoke to them because that's what they were told to do assimilate them, make them more hearing right um and nathan you mentioned lgbt like there are so many different minority groups that can that can relate to luca and alberto and what they try to do when they come to the town yeah and they try and fit in and they try and assimilate they try and assimilate by pushing down and hiding that part of themselves where they come from right
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Until Massimo shows them that they don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, right. The biggest, yeah. strongest, scariest man in town says, "No, you are Luca and Alberto. You mm-hmm. are more than just sea monsters. Like you mm-hmm. are my yeah. family,
4: mm-hmm.
0: or
3: my daughter's friends." And I think that there's something so wonderful in that.
4: Yeah, there's a there's a book, very very slim. Uh, written by John F. Kennedy, the, the John F. Kennedy. Um, you could read the whole book in probably an hour and a half, but it's called A Nation of Immigrants. And he had written this short, you know, basically a glorified pamphlet, but, um, so it's readily available online. You can, you can purchase a copy or you can check it out from your local library. But one of my observations from reading that book was the way that every new wave of immigration from whatever culture that came from, They would struggle to assimilate. Mm -hmm. And then once assimilated, they themselves would meet the next wave of immigration with cynicism, skepticism, fear that every single once, once they had kind of belonged, the next wave of, you know, whether it's, whether it's the Italian migration and then moves into, you know, Irish need not apply. And then, you know, now we're facing so much, so much in America with conversations about, Uh, the Latino community and there's all kinds of other nations and, 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 uh, from other places seeking asylum, seeking, you know, refugee status. It's a very, you know, volatile conversation at this moment. But one of my biggest observations from that, again, very, very brief little book, again, called A Nation of Immigrants by the John F. Kennedy. Um, and he said it was interesting because he said, yes, every single that assimilation factor, which is why I bring it up. He said, once you're assimilated, then any new wave, any then that's viewed as a threat because now you are in the in group and you belong. And what is subversively so powerful is that Massimo shatters that, immediately shatters it, is he has the power, he has the influence, and he has the ability to immediately negate assimilation for them. You know, like, as you put out, as you pointed out, uh, Vera, you, you don't need to do that. Like you don't need to, yeah. to cross that bridge. And that's powerful. And powerful.
3: and not just that, but there's the idea that like when when those waves of quote unquote undesirable immigrants came mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. to North America, they had to work really hard. Yes. Right? And mm-hmm. and that's something that is very valued in Italian culture is hard work. And like that's almost the first question my my grandparents asked, like, how's work?
0: <laughs> are you working a
3: lot? Like, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, like, um, the, if you're not working outside of the home, working inside the home, right? Like mm. always mm-hmm. cooking, cleaning, doing things like the, the, um, equivalent to Santa Claus is, uh, Striga bafana, And, uh, <laughs> the, one of the stories, um, cause they're depending on where in Italy it's from, uh, the wise men come, like they get lost on the way to, <laughs> <laughs> to Bethlehem and they end up at her house and they're like very impressed with how clean it is and she's like i can't go with jesus
4: that's with jesus
3: because i have to clean my house and they're like so that's impressed with
4: her. amazing that's awesome yeah. gosh that's um, awesome so
3: like but it's something that's very valued um in Italian. like hard work it's pulling yourself up by your bootstrap working your way to acceptance mm-hmm. and then saying well why can't these new ways do the same that we did
0: Right, right. Mm. They can Mm. work
3: hard. They can get to the place where we are. Um, but Massimo, like you said, shatters that and says, "No, no, you don't have to do that. I'm going to make it so that you don't have to work as hard. We will just take you in and accept you and love you."
4: Hmm. And I think what's really, you know, not to not to just drive it all, you know, to a to a sort of a pulpit setting, but you know, I'm I'm very very zoned in on the christ likeness of that choice you know the christ likeness of saying mm-hmm. like hey uh you cannot get here so i will come get you like that is the gospel <laughs> like like yeah. you you cannot get here so i will come get you and that and and yes there can be this tendency in us of well why did i have to work so hard and this other person you know just gets it You know, this other, this, this other person is just handed what I had to work so hard for. And I think there's an automatic impulse in us to resist that. And maybe we're a bit, when I interrogate that in my own heart, maybe I'm a bit resentful of the, you know, the, where I confront it, here's where I've had to confront it directly is maybe some people can relate if you're on a job that has in like a you know broader sort of corporate setting where you can you know move up or down in the organization or laterally or whatever and let's say that you you know spent like eight years or you know a lengthy amount of time trying to get to where you are and then somebody else comes in and through a sequence of either good fortune or whatever they land in a comparable position in half the time Mm
2: -hmm. and it can
4: be really easy to look at them with a certain degree of, uh, again, cynicism, resentment of being like, well, you know, I would have loved to have had that, you know, like, and, and that's where some of those conversations around it's, it's not quite the same thing, but where some of the, the fear of entitlement or the fear of just handing something over comes in and, uh, not wanting to go too far down that path of the conversation because it's not relevant is I feel like for us as believers, I feel like the hard thing that we're called to is to say like, no, no, no. Uh, there's that parable about the people working in the vineyard and mm. the, the person the, who owns the vineyard uh, says to the people at the beginning of the day, like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay you this much for the whole day's work. And then on and on and on different people come in at different times, but he pays them all the same. <laughs> and so the people who worked only an hour receive it the same as the people who worked all that time. And in that parable, uh, the the owner of the vineyard is like, I can I can dole this out as I please. You know, it's it's it, uh, it can almost come off dismissive, like, "Hey, you're mad that you, you're mad that I'm not being fair by giving you more or giving them less." And I feel like that's an impulse we should actively fight against as followers of Christ when we see other people either. Progressing faster, progressing easier, uh, any, anything to that notion where we are inclined to continue to make it hard for them. Because if we don't make it hard for them, how will they ever learn? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like we've, we've talked about it. I forget the episode, but we had a whole conversation that I won't retread right now about the, you know, the, the make the paths straight and, and prepare the way for the Lord and making things easier for people and 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 that being such in my mind a holy calling of like yes make it easier that is that is good work you know t- it's also good work to teach people the value of hard work i'm not sitting on this podcast saying everybody should just be lazy that's not you know that's not the takeaway but i think the active work of just making it easier for others i consider that to be holy work that's that's something i consider to be sacred um from what well, i've and, seen and
2: i think an important distinction there that that is is right and and behind your words there is it's not about letting people off the hook for you know quote-unquote hard work it's about making it easier for people to be themselves
4: mm. yes.
2: yes yes you know, and and yes. and we we really because of the entitlement we've we feel ourselves uh be redundant entitled to we can then say well you must assimilate you must rise to the K. you must pull up your you know sleeves in the same way i have versus the moss i just i don't know i really love highlighting that character in that way because it, it, a- it is you, you mentioned Reed that it.
3: he's like he's he's very christ-like in that way mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. when i was talking through um what I saw as the themes of the movie and, and the Masino character with, um, with my husband, Rob, um, I brought up Galatians um, mm. uh, 328. So there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is mm. there male or female for you are all one in Jesus Christ. And mm. like in the language of the movie, like there's no sea monster and land monster. Mm. Like we are all, we are all one here. We all belong in Puerto Rosso. Whether you live in land or sea, mm. mm-hmm. we are family. Right? Yeah.
0: Mm. And I just
3: yeah. I love that idea that's brought in, into the movie. Like,
4: and, and you know what I find so lovely about you invoking that passage from Galatians is because I have so frequently and I think somewhat errantly heard that referred to as an advocacy for conformity and homogenization. So to bring the language down a little bit. It's like people use that scripture to justify how everybody needs to look the same and everybody needs to be the same. And I so love that you've, that you've brought out the power of that, of how that scripture speaks to belonging. Like, no, 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 you belong this, this, this category, this categorization, this, you know, this compartmentalization that takes place everywhere else here, here you belong. There's a place for you here. And man, what power and beauty there is! Well, and, and and to your point, there, Reed, the language you just used in
2: in envisioning these detractors of people need to look or be the same. It's it's the the flip side of that it, that is the truer version: is you are the same. Mm. You know, mm. Mm. though though different, also same. Yeah. Um, You know, I, there's a there's a powerful roarism that that has been on the top of my brain uh, uh, the last few minutes. That's you know it's it's not a place you get it's a place you are and wow. uh you know you can kind of do with that what you will but it feels like there's echoes of that in this conversation
4: man i i love this <laughs> i gotta throw out
2: as we're as we're you know, going to Mm -hmm. break the surface of the water here. It's so funny. Like I said, the first time I watched this, it was a bit more cursory than it it's it's owed. Uh and so this time around, I did not catch it when she did it at first. But the second time Julia does a Santo cheese. I was like, "Oh my god, is that really what's happening here?" And then the third time, I was like, "Oh, that's hysterical!" That every <laughs> yeah, five I, minutes, she throws out a new cheese with Santa or Santo in front of it. I
3: hysterical. like it's, it's it's something like my my uh, my Nona especially used to say all the time like like Santa Maria right like
2: sure yeah they, yeah Saint yeah.
3: Mary right but they've removed the the actual saints from the movie and replaced them with cheese
2: yeah <laughs> it's oh it's, it's beautiful <laughs> which I mean I i i venerate the the saints of cheese yes absolutely
4: <laughs> <Same thing. laughs> oh that's awesome so um do you want to take us to the uh current seasonal rendition let's do of it
2: the fog we're going there? to the fog meter which in what saves us is a reference to fun and god nothing that's to fear right here nothing to be afraid of uh so fun how fun the Film in question is, and then how substantive it is. Vera, this is your submission. Um, you know, uh, to interpret fun however you may choose. But how would you rank Luca on the fun quotient?
3: It's a ten for me. I I just think it's so fun. The story is fun. The the my how I relate to it in terms of like Italian culture is fun. Visually, I think it's stunning and fun.
2: Fun. It's yeah, fun. Yeah, given your background, you are pretty much an
4: expert in <laughs> too. That, was a subtle, <laughs> that was a subtle one. Reed, what about um, you on the fun? So I am. I am married to a lovely Italian lady, and ha- and and the the observations that I've made from her family as well is just something that uh, really just boosted the endearment of this film to me in general. But um, I absolutely think this is a wonderfully. Realized and, and lovely portrait. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with an eight for me on uh, the fun meter. I think it's a lovely, lovely film.
2: Um, I am going to bow down to Saint Cheese in all her forms uh, <laughs> and and go with a ten on the fun factor. I I just love Reed. You, you it's funny you you made a astute observation in it's straight arrowedness. Um, yes. I kind of love a direct thing that as massimo does for the boys names itself what it is it just it just yes this is the story we're telling um Mm -hmm. i love i love i think fun is an appropriate uh word for the proceedings i love the quotability of it i love the quirky characters um it's it's kind of beautiful to look at. So no, I, I'm I'm going to go for a 10 on the fun factor. And like we did on that. So right, I'll start on the God factor and cycle back to Vera here. So um, you know, I would not have it, it clearly because it didn't the first time I didn't immediately ping the Massimo. And so this is a uh, conversation has been very helpful in that enlightenment. But at the same time, you know, we didn't even touch on uh, uh, just the, the metaphors of the Vespa and on one side mm. and the educational ele- element on the other side, this sense of right. agency these characters are pursuing and what the Vespa represents and what mm. Julia and education represents on, you know, this really lovely dichotomy there uh, that we didn't even touch on. Um, and a, a line that I wrote down that is Massimo's that reinforces all we've said that, hadn't come up yet is this is how i came into the world that's a really Mm, powerful and beautiful line so as far as the god factor goes um uh, you know i don't know if this film will change minds but it definitely has a lot on its mind as it relates to these issues and so i think i will give it an eight on the god factor reed what about you awesome
4: um uh, resonating a lot of the same things that you said, I'm going to land at a nine. I feel like it, um, there is something really, we keep, I keep coming back to this drum beat. It would be really easy to watch this movie and just, Oh, that's cute. Yeah. That's sweet. That's yep. fun. I feel like if you take the beat to really think about the moments and think about the characters and think about the in interior world that it is expressed it is subtly quite profound and i think to that end that's what substantiates my nine is that i feel like there is it it is you are able to watch this movie and just enjoy it and isn't that cute but i think if you engage with it even more so uh there's some really really affecting things in the surface
2: silencio is its own theme I mean that's oh absolutely we didn't even really touch on
4: yeah yeah we didn't yeah yeah, we didn't even get to one of the major through points of the you know silencio bruno and the you know the 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 courage and don't listen to the restraining voices and everything it's really it's really powerful and so I think to that end it is one of those lovely little boxes that would be handed and you're like oh this is such a slight simple thing but then that's the thing that you come to love over time because the more you've sat with it it is it oh yeah this really has been there a lot for me and I think Luca is that. Kind of thing. It has the potential to be that kind of story. What about you, yeah.
3: Um, yeah. Like, like I've said, I think that this movie is so intentional and and thoughtful in its creation. Um, we like we barely even touched on Ercole because he's yeah. he's there's no there's no real villain in the movie. Like he's a bully, he's mm-hmm. an antagonist, he's not a villain. Like he's, he's a just bottom feeder
2: with two whiskers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly um oh, and man, oh, like yeah we didn't talk detail, about
2: we don't <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> can't sorry
3: um we didn't talk about the vespas we didn't talk about him wanting to go to school even like the relatability of you know when you introduce two friends and then those friends hit it off and hmm. then you feel jealous of those friends like yeah. everybody has experienced that before right like when luca does the the handshake with julia and like yeah. uh, that's when Alberto snaps. Like
4: he does like, not like that.
3: <laughs> that is hashtag relatable. No, he did not like
4: that.
0: <laughs>
3: um, <laughs> right. And then, like, on it, and on top of that, what we what we talked about. So I just think that there is so much in here, and it is so well put together. And it's not a movie that leads with its themes, like, mm. say, I'm in to reference another movie, like say Frozen 2 or something like that, where it's just like oh, that what you're All trying theme.
2: to say <laughs> yeah we're, we're working hard on that one <laughs>
3: um whereas like yeah you could watch it for just the, the small cute little story that it is or you could open it up and yeah. there's just so much in there so
2: it's it's 10. so funny it's so funny that you said that. i'm sorry you said 10 uh okay. so i i, I inadvertently <laughs> talked over your 10 there it's so funny that you reference that though because frozen 2 now i think show yourself is a is a <laughs> Did an incredible song. I mean, I, I think it, it rivals just about anything in the frozen canon. Uh but Frozen 2, the film, I'm like, what is there's where's the story here? This is not even to, to your to both of our uh both of y'all's points about the nimbleness of the narrative story at work in Luca. I remember watching Frozen 2 and being like, there there's not there's nothing here. There's not a story here. You guys didn't do the work. You just got no. some good tunes, which to be fair are good tunes, uh yeah. Samantha. But anyway sorry i'll shut up now
4: well no that that was really easy math that means that we give luca a nine out of ten on the fog meter uh fun of god the fun of god um i think it probably goes without without saying that uh with a with a fog meter that high uh but worth asking you know vera do you recommend luca to people of
3: course i recommend (laughs) Luca.
4: (laughs) nathan do you take me gravity (laughs) yes I would say anybody who yes anybody who doesn't uh, recommend it I've just got two words for you and that's Silencio 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 Bruno Bruno. yes I love it so yes or to them you'd say what's wrong with you stupido what's wrong with you stupido (laughs)
0: Um,
4: yes it is uh, it's it's a wonderful wonderful film Um, so yeah I think we've had a wonderful conversation Vera thank you so much for the privilege to be able to talk about Luca this was uh, a surprising entry in What Saves Us to be sure but I have really (laughs) Just a, I, I was <laughs> so,
0: guys.
4: I, I was so endeared to be able to see this movie again and think about it and talk about it in this way. It was really, really lovely. So, um, in honor of the Italians in my life, I promised my father-in-law that I would do this one thing, uh, before we left. This is not an Italian thing. This is just for my Italian father-in-law. Okay. Yes so uh because we're all disneyland fanatics as well and this is a disney film a pixar film um so uh as we are about to sign off uh i will do our own little version of the l a c see you real soon k e y why because we like you R-O- there you U-S-E. go. Lacky Aww. Rouse. <laughs> 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 um, anyway. I promised my wow. father-in-law I would do that. And so um so next week uh we are going to be doing another entry in What Saves Us. Uh this will be uh, an entry that is uh, we'll, we'll talk about it when we talk about it but an entry uh, a film that has in days past meant a tremendous amount to me we will see how the conversation plays out but we are going to the Peter Weir film from the late 1980s called Dead yeah. Poets yeah 89 called Dead Poets Society so that is next Ooh. week's entry um, so familiarize yourself with that or refamiliarize yourself with that and then we will see you here next week Vera thank you so much again Nathan, thank you, as always, for this conversation. Listeners, thank you so much. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everyone.
3: A presto, everyone. Yay!
4: Now I want want some pasta. The Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes, or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at thefearofgod, on Instagram at fearofgodpodcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright, who helped me, read Lackey, write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.